As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I am your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how we doing? Jordan, I've watched a fair amount of football. <laughs> I've never seen a quarterback attempt two passes across the line of scrimmage at the same on the same play and somehow get rewarded for it. That was a weird, weird play. And how about Tom Brady for the second time in his career, a non a non sack, yeah, <laughs> a non fumble sack. What was going on in that game, Jordan? The the referees were just all over the place. The Rams get the win, of course. We shouldn't go without saying that. But wow, that was dizzying to to keep track of everything that was going on with those officials in that game. Yeah. So the Rams. In case you have been under a rock for the last 48 hours or so, the Rams beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 27-24. The Rams are now 7-3 and and sitting atop the NFC West currently with four division games left to play. Rich, uh, you know, the Rams are going to be taking some of these to the league for sure. There's at least one oh, yeah. defensive pass interference call that they're going to probably take to the league that I think uh, Jalen Ramsey subtweeted elegantly and and then also um the the fumble that was a fumble but was not called as such in which Morgan Fox I think got robbed and Tom Brady once again sort of skirts the natural laws of justice in the NFL <laughs> she she said dramatically no um and then and then the double pass th- those were those were nuts to me and I know you got some good insight on the double pass because um, the Rams declined the penalty, which I think I initially thought was the right decision, but it turns out it doesn't sound like there is a right decision to make on that call. No, you're exactly right. They they were stuck with, with two not great options. Okay, so the scenario was it's, it's a third and 10 play. And for those who didn't see it, basically what happens is Tom Brady attempts a pass. I think it doinked off the back of somebody or off of somebody's helmet. It was hard to see uh, uh, live went back to Tom Brady, who caught it, and give the guy credit. It was a heck of a play. And then he gets the ball back and completes a pass downfield for eight yards. 
the flags fly because that's, of course, not a legal play. You cannot do that. The problem is the Rams are presented with two options. They could either take the penalty for an illegal forward pass, which would have made it third and 15, or they could do what they did, which was accept the penalty, which actually made that illegal play. The, the Buccaneers gained eight yards on that play to make it fourth and two. Uh, there was a little bit of confusion there whether or not the rule was interpreted correctly. It was interpreted correctly. I looked it up uh, after the game, and that's exactly what the NFL rule book says. The problem there is the Buccaneers end up getting rewarded for a penalty because either way, uh, the scenario ended up being that the Buccaneers punted. But Imagine a different scenario. Imagine it's it's late in the game or imagine they're deep in in Rams territory. They probably would have gone for it yeah. on that fourth and two or they would have had two opportunities on third and 15 to go for it. Jordan, that, that rule is definitely has to get changed because that should be a loss of down. Yeah. That should be, in my mind, the same as a uh, uh, intentional grounding or something like that. You you can't allow a team to benefit in in any way uh, from from a play like that. I had have you ever seen anything? I I uh, 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 messaged uh, on Twitter Jim Everett to ask him if he'd ever seen anything. He said no. I I've never seen anything close to that before. No, I've not seen anything like that before. Um, I think that. You're absolutely correct. That rule has to be changed. It's a bad rule. Um, you need to lose the down and also not gain the yardage. And, you know, I, our, friend, our friends at Edge Sports were talking about how Bruce Arians cost his team by not going for it on that fourth and two, cost his team, I think it was like four or five in game win percentage in game winning chance. So another coach is probably going to go for that if they sort of understand that they've reaped the benefit of a bad rule. They they probably are going to go for that on fourth and two, especially um, at the time. You know, the Rams defense was stingy all night in terms of the the explosive plays and the, you know, 15 to 20 plus yard plays. Um, but the, some of that short stuff was working early. And so I think that that was that's just a terrible rule. You know, I'm, 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 I've stopped being surprised at seeing the things that we see Tom Brady sort of slide through and clearly tried to get that pass off as if it never touched his hands twice. So, <laughs> so we've never, you know, we've, we've about seen it all uh, from him, including, oh man, that was a fumble to me, Rich. I mean, and also you got to let the whistle, you, you cannot blow the whistle to blow that play dead. Because you have to you have to see how what the outcome is so that you're not making a sort of game costing or game affecting decision on something that would need to be reviewable, especially if it ended up being, you know, like a touchdown or something like that. It would need to be reviewable. And they and they blew it dead so quickly. Yeah, that that's what got me. And I, you mentioned the, the pass interference calls there. And I, I totally agree. I mean, the, those two on Jalen Ramsey, I mean, both of them were were marginal at best, and especially the second one. I mean, you, you could make an argument, a good argument, that there was offensive pass interference more, yeah. that there was, more than there was defensive pass interference. So, but you know, Jordan, I mean, those things happen. You every every game, you get a, a handful of calls that you can maybe agree with, disagree with. But that fumble play, 
I, yeah, you, you, I, I agree 100% with you, Jordan. There's no, that whistle was so quick. And there's, there's no reason for that when, when, no, you know, there wasn't a player in danger. It, it wasn't one of those situations. There was no reason on a, on what was at best a 50, 50 play to, to blow the whistle. You let the play play out and, and then see what happens. You can always go back and say, oh, actually that was an incomplete pass. It's harder the other way to say, oh, okay, that was a fumble and, and, and you know, you, you project what was going to happen or, or whatever. But, you know, players are trained when they hear the whistle. Oh, that's, you know, we stop when we hear a whistle. And uh, when, you, when you have a play that's, that's not a clear-cut play, and that was absolutely live, not a clear-cut play, there's no reason uh, to blow the whistle. And that really could have had an impact on the game. I mean, that's late, uh, I believe, late in the third quarter, the end of the third quarter quarter and the Rams are up by seven at that point they get the ball back there uh, because Tampa has to punt but uh, that's when things kind of got really weird in that game and and Tampa ends up tying the game in in a couple uh, possessions later so that that play really could have had a big impact on the game and uh, yeah there's there's nothing you can do about that now but you really don't like to see the refs impact a game like that. Yeah, and the thing that bothers me too is from what I was sort of reading as well, and obviously you were here and you could speak better on that, was there was precedence in a, in a situation like that against Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, yeah, and, and there was a play, yeah. And and you've seen it so many times. I mean, anytime there's a... I, I've seen... I mean, I saw some this weekend just flipping around where you, where you go, oh, come on, that's clearly an incomplete pass. You could see the guy's arm, you know, going forward. I think, was it... I think maybe Philip Rivers had one, or I think it was in that game that I was flipping around uh, uh, watching. And, and you can see it live and go, oh, come on, that's an incomplete pass. But th- those refs let it play out because... Why wouldn't you? You know, may, if it's if it turns out to be incomplete, it's so easy then to just say, "All right, incomplete pass. It's it's second down or whatever." Right. So, yeah, I, I just don't understand why when 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 replay is so awesome now and and you can see everything from from every angle. I, I don't know what the rush is there to to blow that dead and, and have an, an incomplete pass. So again, you know, I, I understand the the bang bang calls, pass interference, holding that sort of thing. I mean, those. Uh, that's human error. You can make or, or, or miss those, but but to, to blow a whistle like that when you don't have to, uh, that that was something that, that just really kind of sat poorly with me. Yeah, you know, I understood the Jordan Fuller pass interference call. That was just yeah. he just arrived at the point at the the catch point too early. Yeah. But the the first Jalen Ramsey DPI. Yeah, maybe you could make an argument for it. The second one, I don't think you can make an argument for at all. And it kind of leads me to this sort of incredible statistic where Tom Brady's longest pass of the night was 18 yards, and he did not throw the ball or complete a pass, although there are a couple of attempts, as we'll get to in a minute. Longer, he did attempt longer passes, did not complete a one, uh, but his longest plays of the night ended up being off of those DPIs. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I think he completed a couple to Jordan Fuller. I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think that was part of the play design. But uh, Doesn't that just kill? I mean, that just if you're in the film room, that just kills you, though. I think, like I, like I said, I think um, Jalen Ramsey. Yeah. Again, guys, players and coaches are not allowed to speak ill of um, officiating because they get a fine. So, you know, it, we're kind of left to break it down. And, you know, I, again, Rich and I talk all the time, like we could not do these guys' jobs. However, I think if right. I'm watching two elite NFL 
players uh, at corner and receiver sort of do battle. I, I prefer the games where they let them do a little bit of battle, honestly, because I think that that lends more to a fairly called game. If you kind of let them jostle each other a little bit, let the hand fighting happen, that's normal, that's expected from a physical physical matchup like that. You know, covering I covered Mike Evans for four years. James Bradbury had to go against him twice a year. And James Bradbury talked to a, uh, would always talk about how Mike Evans is so bump and run. You just have to bump and run with him. And you, I think you understand that coming into the game. And Jalen understood that that's the sort of physicality that you need to play on a receiver such as Mike Evans. And then you saw it later on with Mike Evans with that really physical effort play for the touchdown which again, we'll get to, but you, I, I just think it lends more fairly to a, or it lends better to a fairly called game if you just sort of let the battle play out and yeah, call the egregious stuff for sure, you know, helmet push-offs, things like that. But I didn't see much that was egregious on Jalen's side. In fact, on that second one, I think it was a little bit more of a push-off on Mike Evans, but what do yeah. I know, right? <laughs> No, I, I think it was, and that that's such a great point. I mean, you can you think about you know uh, cornerbacks getting you know handsy or whatever or getting physical, but hey, receivers can do it too, and and that's part of the game. And I think both of those guys, I bet if you asked both of them, they they loved it. I bet they loved that matchup and and the way that they were playing each other. You could tell Jalen Ramsey was all hyped up. You could tell Mike Evans was was hyped up, you know, by the by some of the plays that he was making, including that touchdown uh, that uh, that you mentioned. So nobody was complaining here. Nobody was like, hey, hey, hey. you know, I mean, they, they really looked like they were both into it. And it was a great matchup. And NBC's highlighting it. And uh, I think to, to kind of le- legislate things out of that, uh, I don't I don't I don't like it. Again, yeah. like you said, you don't you don't want anything that you don't want guys getting thrown down or, or you know, clearly running guys over or anything like that. But if, if these are two guys two of the best of the best and let them play their games I mean that's 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 what we tune in to watch is is great matchups like that so a little disappointing that that the refs uh, took a little bit out of that but uh, but uh, you know Jordan we can uh, want to you know I don't want to spend all our time talking about the the refs because what'd you think about that game I, I thought it was one of those statement um, games for the Rams. We've spent so long talking about quality of opponent and this and that, incomplete effort. Um, I thought to go down to, to Tampa Bay and do what they did, not a perfect aim, no, but I, I thought it was a really, really impressive win and a huge win in their uh, step toward making the playoffs and, and maybe, maybe even winning that division. Yeah, you know, Rich, in the spring when the schedule came out, Remember you and I sitting down and talking about this slate, and aside from the East Coast travel, I kept looking at this block of games, Rams versus Seattle, Rams at Tampa Bay, and I was like, holy crap, that is going to be the toughest block, perhaps, that they play, because then you've got San Francisco right after that, and you've got four division games um, still left, even if you come out of this with a win, and, you know... It, it's just, to me, still the most comprehensively brutal block of this entire schedule and I think really made somewhat of a forceful statement and a definitive statement about what this team is capable of because they were able to come away out of both of those games with a win and 
honestly, even though the score was 27-24 of this game, I don't think that dictates completely how overall um, sort of thoroughly dominant the Rams seem to be. And there was some really discombobulated moments with Jared Goff, and we'll get to that, although also think he played one of his best games of the year before everyone lights up my mentions. Um, but also, but I think this is, this is such a, a proving ground, really, these last two games. And you could have maybe said, all right, went over Seattle, like, cool, try to do it again, like maybe a fluke. NFC West is crazy, crazy things happen. But then you follow up that decisive win against Seattle with this win against the best defense, one of the best defenses in, in the league, statistically the best defense in many categories, and you put up 27 on them, and then, you know, in the second half, you hold Tom Brady in this comp- very complete and complimentary room of receivers and, and this really dynamic um, group to 10 points and those were off turnovers. So, I, yeah, I mean, this is this says something about the Rams, I think, moving forward. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, maybe there's a little recency bias here, Jordan, just having watched the the game. But um, that defensive performance, now they give up 24 points, uh, which is, you know, more than we've come to expect from from this Rams defense. How dare they, honestly. Yeah, exactly. What's (laughs) wrong? Somebody has to be held accountable. Uh, But, uh, you know, seven of those came after a turnover, I think, uh, Tampa. You know what's funny, Jordan? Not a side note. I still want to call them New England, and I almost did it a few times. It's so weird to see, like, you know, uh, Brady and Gronk and and not have this be New England. So if I slip up ever, uh, please excuse me. But but I, I thought all things considered, uh, it was it was a great uh, defensive effort. I, I mean, they they did what they what they needed to do. Everybody coming in, so many people were talking about Ronald Jones and and how you know the Rams. It was going to be a big problem for for them to stop Ronald Jones. Ronald Jones didn't do anything at all really in that game. Uh, Tom Brady's going to have his moments. That's going to happen when you have as many targets as he does. I know you mentioned it on on Twitter. I think Jordan during the game. It's just like this unending. A string of, of, of talent. Yeah, it, that's a great way to put it. It's like you try to cover one, and like here's another one who's who's open. So 
you know, those guys are always going to, to make their plays, but, uh, you know, they, they made Tom look really, really uncomfortable at times. And I know we're going to talk about a couple of those interceptions, but I don't know, Jordan, is there recency bias? Like, I, I just came away considering the quality of the opponent, considering, you know, a, another East Coast trip, a, a fifth one in, in 10 games. Uh, I, I was really impressed by the quality of, of that defensive effort. Yeah, you know, if if people don't come away from these last two and they're still unhappy, then I don't know what's wrong, honestly, because because right. the the wonder coming into it and even after the Chicago game in which the Rams proved themselves and in certain ways, but then there was still like, well, it's not a good offense, you know, it, and so it, or Chicago's right. not a good offense, was it really a good test for their defense? Well, this these last two games, I mean, that's about as quality of opponent as you can bring back to back. Really, right. I mean, I, I'm not seeing m- many more blocks that are are that challenging in such a variety of different ways. In terms of the amount of things you have to contain as a defense, first of all, and then the understanding that sure, you know, very prolific ability from both offenses that, that in those back to back stretches. Um, whether it was Russell Wilson in Seattle or Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. And, and it's, I mean, you can't prove a lot more <laughs> about the right. worry coming into it. Like, oh, they haven't played anybody yet. Right. Well, okay. Now they've played some folks <laughs> and, they, oh, yeah. and they want Bama. No, I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm just, um, <laughs> I, I think if you, if you don't come away happy with these last two, I would suggest finding a different hobby because, um, you know, painting is nice, I guess, <laughs> soothing. Um, because this is, this is, there's not a lot to hate with, with these last two. And, and I know we'll extrapolate this one specifically. Something that you mentioned that I loved, Rich, was the Rams came into this game and they knew, okay, we need to stop Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette and we can't let them get into a rhythm they also understood that Tom Brady was going to be a threat and, and his receivers were going to be a threat. And so they thought, okay, if we can, A, get some interior pressure against the pass um, and, and kind of disrupt the inside of Tom Brady's pocket, great. We also need to be on our P's and Q's against the run and stop these two. And then you kind of leave them in that dimensionality of, all right, man, now you have to pass against us. And this is a secondary that has only given up 19 passing plays of 15 plus yards entering Monday night's game, and then only gave up an additional of of 18 yards as we kind of covered before. But they basically said, we're going to give you guys a little bit of a cushion. Sure, get your your quick throws out and everything, but then we're going to shore up and tackle and contain, and we're not going to let you guys get behind us. And we're going to sort of dare you to try. And I think that from that perspective, it was executed very, very well. Yeah, for sure. And, and there was a little bit of frustration, understandable frustration early on, because uh, the Bucks were really good on third down. I, th- I think they 
uh, converted like five of their uh, six first downs. And they were doing a lot of that. These were like third and fives, third and fours, things like that. And they were just getting beyond the sticks and making the catch. And I know fans were getting frustrated. And I was pointing it out too on, on Twitter, but uh, it, it's a lot of what the, you're saying. They just, they, they weren't going to give them anything uh, beyond that. They were, they were going to let them kind of, you know, dink and dunk and, and do that stuff, but they, they weren't going to get beat. And and you mentioned the 18 yards and, and beyond that, Jordan, they only had, uh, the Buccaneers only had eight plays in the entire game. Uh, excuse me. They only had five plays that went for more than 10 yards. Right. Uh, which is just amazing. I mean, the Rams, I'm looking at the list here, the Rams had 37, 35, 24, 23, and then a whole bunch between uh, 19 and 15. They were they were picking up pretty good chunks. The Buccaneers were not picking up those chunk plays at all. And, and it, I think it all started with that run defense probably isn't going to get enough credit in this, this game either. But uh, Ronald Jones, 10 carries for 24 yards. Didn't do anything at all, really. Uh, Leonard Fournette, they kind of brought him in to try to bring a little bit more of a physical element. He had 17 yards uh, on seven carries. So they were not able to, to get anything going on the ground. And and then, like you said, Jordan, they were bringing that interior pressure. And it's just, you don't you don't see Tom Brady look mortal like that uh, very often. When, when they were able to get some pressure in his face, he was either, there were a couple times where he just kind of threw it at, at his own feet to, to, to get rid of it, or, or he was making some really bad decisions uh, with the ball. So it, it was pretty obvious that they were, they were not making Tom Brady comfortable. And, and that's not a situation that, that you've been accustomed to seeing Tom Brady in very often. No, and he had to throw the ball 48 times. And yeah. I don't care how much water he drinks every day or how many avocados he eats. If you're his age and you're throwing the ball 48 times, you're going to get tired. <laughs> like Jared Goff threw 51 times at the, you know, sprightly young age of what, 26. And right. um, he's probably still got a massive ice pack on his arm all day today. Right. Tom Brady threw it 48 times because the Rams were so effective at stopping the run. And, I thought that was really, really impressive. And particularly as it pertains to even some of the wider stuff that they tried to do was not working. And that's something where, that had hurt the Rams in the past. And, and so I think that that's very indicative of improvement along that defensive line. You won't really see what those guys were able to accomplish in the stat sheet because obviously you it's it's hard to gauge um, true success just looking at sort of these defensive stats stats in which Samson Ebucom was the the guy with the lone sack um, on the Rams side. But all of right. that interior pressure, we talked about it on a previous podcast where it's like the Pac-Man effect. It's like if, if you draw a circle and the quarterback is standing at the top of the circle and you Pac-Man your way up the middle, you sort of dive and carve that wedge up the middle out um, to create sort of a Pac-Man looking character at that point, the quarterback has either either side to go to, has to get the ball out very quickly, and then you depend on your second and third tiers to contain. And again, containing the run to the point that they did made sure that Tom Brady, and then also playing with the lead as well, made sure that Tom Brady and the Bucks had to pass as much as they did, in which the secondary really stepped up. So I thought this was a really complimentary game from the defensive side of the ball, I think guys like Ashawn Robinson and Michael Brocker, Sebastian Joseph Day, just really, really fantastic game that, again, 
um, you know, it's, it's nice to shout them out here because they, it won't, um, show up all the time on the stat sheet, but those guys were absolutely crucial. Aaron Donald, you know, those, you know, I did see a couple holds <laughs> like I do every week, oh, yeah. but, mm-hmm. and then obviously got the the same attention that he always gets. But what's really been cool to see is how those other guys have sort of stepped up as disruptors, even when it's not necessarily notching statistics, but stepped up as disruptors, um, especially when Aaron Donald gets as much attention as he's getting. So it's, it's certainly fun to shout out those guys um, because, you know, they don't always get the accolades, but I think they're just having a heck of a second second half of the season here so far. Yeah, you're, you're seeing it, it come together, Jordan. I, I agree. And there's always things. You're never going to be perfect. And I know you've looked at, uh, you know, maybe some of the linebacker play or, you know, consistency and setting those edges and things like that. But it's, look, you're always going to have something to clean up. And like we've said, this is this is a good team that they played. So you're, you're, you're not going to be perfect in any game. And you're certainly not going to be perfect against an experienced um, offense like like Tampa Bay but I'll tell you what Jordan Rams fans uh they they were they didn't like hearing this on Twitter last night. I know we we're having fun <laughs> with it, but but boy, you hear you heard Brandon Staley's name a few times on that broadcast last night, and I'm wondering uh, how many how many general managers or how many uh, NFL team owners were watching that game, going, hmm, this this Brandon Staley fellow. Let me let me let me look him up. Let me let me see what uh, what he's got here. Uh, I I, I kind of was half joking about it, but. Look, if if that Rams defense continues to play uh, the the way that it is, you, you're going to be hearing a lot more about Brandon Staley. And uh, I don't know, it's maybe a year early, but I, I'm not going to be shocked if if you start hearing his name as as a little bit of a dark horse candidate out there. Well, those guys should read the beat writers, Rich. Exactly, <laughs> you were all over it months ago. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I hate to say this because I know it's it's such a sensitive topic for Rams fans. I do think that Brandon Staley has sort of launched himself into contention for some of these jobs. I would also, though, caution people to not put the cart before the horse, to use such a tired cliche, but whatever, um, <laughs> on this. Because GMs and, and owners, they will skew still, I think, toward getting sort of the offensive mind. Now, yeah. Brandon Staley is actually an offensive-minded defensive coordinator, as you guys won't forget. However, um, again, who's reading the beat writers? (laughs) 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 Because really what the focus has been in the national conversation is about Brandon Staley as a defensive coordinator. And yes, he's been doing a fantastic job, but something that I think Sean McVay has a little bit of an edge on in terms of the national conversation and is keeping a little bit more under his vest. Again, if you don't read the beat writers, um, is that Brandon Staley looks at the game very similarly to how Sean does. And, and that's as an, with an offensive perspective. And he just so happens to be able to apply that math and sort of winning matchups and winning the numbers and winning the math equation um, to the defensive side and, and then capitalizing on his best players and um, putting them in positions to be successful, much like you see a Sean McVay offense do. So that's a little bit of a, of a, I think a variable that Sean will continue to have close to the vest. I, I think that obviously he would support interviews and all of that, but there's a couple of, there's a couple of jobs that are going to be open and 
they're not good jobs. Uh, I think, in fact, some of them are quite toxic. And so I'm not sure, you know, Brandon Staley, everything, everything I've learned about him from covering him these last several months is everything he does is so intentional and every decision he makes is so intentional and, and thought completely through. And I would think that he would not want to put himself in a position in which he's not being also set up for success by an ownership group that doesn't really know what it's doing or is too involved or has hired some guy from a firm to do the job, <laughs> um, right. Right. you know, and, and so I, I would think he's going to be very, very intentional about that decision-making process. I don't think it hurts to interview at all, but again, if you think you could win a chip, you know, let's say they get close and they don't get all the way this year in this crazy year of all years. Um, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of a, okay, maybe I can try to win a chip with this team because if I've got opportunities now, I'm going to have opportunities down the stretch because I'm personally not getting worse. My defense is not getting worse. <laughs> so, right. you know, I, I think that I think big picture, yeah, he's definitely going to be in some conversations if he hasn't been already. But, um, you know, I, I think that there's not maybe as much of a fear. Uh, you know, it's it's not like you're – you're watching him coach his last few games for sure. You know what I mean? Right, like I right. think I think that there's a a pretty good chance that you'll see him in a in a Rams ball cap next year, even if he does draw some interest. But we'll see. I you know, I'm wrong about stuff sometimes and a lot of times, and I was wrong about this game prediction. Rich, I'm catching you at the head so that you don't <laughs> rub it in at the end of the podcast here. But no, no, um no. yeah, you know, it's it's definitely something to keep in mind and to keep in consideration. Um, other people I'd really like to talk about are these rookies, Rich, because what about yeah. this, this draft class? And and when we talk about these three rookies that really shown, let's also not forget about Terrell Lewis, who had this great bat down with his bicep, um, which the broadcast just fawned <laughs> over for several minutes. Um, on Monday night, and I thought that was, I, I you know, Jordan Fuller, Cam Akers. Van Jefferson, Terrell Lewis, those guys really stepped up. Yeah, they they did. I mean, my goodness, uh, what what a cool story! And, and Jordan, I know you, you featured it in your in your call on the pile that's that's now live on the Athletic on the, on the app and on the website. So everybody uh, should check that out. But what a cool thing for for Jordan Fuller to to point out during the week, but that he had basically been alive as long as Tom Brady had been playing in the NFL. That's just first of all, that's amazing, and and second of all, how cool for for Jordan Fuller uh, to be in that game and and to record two interceptions like that just made some great reads I know he said one of them he, he you know he said he he read Tom Brady's eyes and, and made the play on it and and kudos to him for for doing that and of course uh, Van Jefferson getting his first touchdown Cam Akers making a nice uh, catch out of the out of the backfield for, for a touchdown and like you said Terrell Lewis um, you know making an impact again and and Jordan the, th- the thing that strikes me is is sometimes I think maybe we get a little uh, I don't know what the right word is here, a little overeager or whatever it might be. And you have to remember that these are rookies and not only are they first year players, but they had no off season at all. So if it takes them a little bit of time, especially in this year uh, to get going, especially a guy like Van Jefferson, maybe that's to be expected. You, you don't want to look at the first eight games of, of a pandemic season and say, oh, why isn't that rookie 
performing. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't really expect a rookie to be performing in that situation. What we've seen out of Jordan Fuller, I think, is extraordinary. What what he's been able to do early on the season, basically step in and, and be a full time starter and be productive. But some of these other guys, I, th- I think what you're seeing maybe is just a natural progression to where they're they're starting to feel more comfortable. The coaches feel more comfortable with them. The teammates, you know, bringing them along, all that sort of thing. That's that's generally what happens, even even in a normal season. But you got, I mean, if you're Sean McVay and the coaching staff, you got to feel great about uh, seeing some of those plays get made and and the potential uh, for for what it means for some of these guys. Yeah, not a first round pick among them. How about that? No. You know, Rich, that's such a good point, and I think part of it too is scheming up these rookie players in situations in which they have proven to be successful and are successful. It's not trying to ask Van Jefferson to do all of the things right now that Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are able to do. Instead, it's scheming him up specifically where he wins and wins well and often, including that one-on-one opportunity that led to his touchdown. We saw him rep that, oh my God, like 800 times, she said, not exaggerating at all, um, in training camp against Jalen Ramsey. And I don't know how you're going to get any better than that, going against Jalen Ramsey one-on-one in red zone and goal line situations, and Van Jefferson just repped and repped and repped and gave as good as he got. And so what do we see at this point after the bye week when Sean McVay says adamantly, yes, I need to get the rookies more involved? We see Van Jefferson schemed up in a one-on-one at the goal line, wins his rep, scores a touchdown. And that's something that was just waiting to emerge and waiting to come out. The other one that I really enjoyed was watching Cam Akers get worked into space out of the backfield in the passing game. This is something that I've been pounding on the table for because Mm -hmm. he has the ability and he has just this all-around versatility um, and explosive playmaking ability in which that makes him a humongous threat in that regard. Well, again, after the bye week and after he flashed in Miami and – then Sean, again, is saying, I really need to get these guys more involved. And you're seeing Cam Akers get schemed on some some big gains out of the backfield. So, yeah, I think that that is um, – I think that that's part of it too because I, I do think these guys have the talent. And, again, guys like Jordan Fuller and then what Terrell Lewis has been able to do even in limited snaps – you know, that's really, really impressive. Um, th- they're outliers. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. The, and then, you know, you, you didn't necessarily need to get Van Jefferson and Cam Akers on the field as much. Cam obviously dealing with the injury when he was. But you have other guys who are playing well. Daryl Henderson is and was playing very well. Malcolm Brown, um, in, in his opportunities, is playing well. Josh Reynolds is playing well. You know, so it's not like this – desperation to get these guys on the field. Instead, you can pick your moments. Now, is Sean McVay doing a better job of picking those moments and a more intentional job of picking those moments? Yes, I think you saw that from this game. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that's just natural. I mean, it's, it takes a little while to, to figure that out. So I, that, uh, I was surprised. I mean, I did a double take when I see Van Jefferson catching that ball. It's like, wait a minute, is that number 12? Like, uh, so you're seeing that and you're seeing that confidence and, and even extending to, to the confidence of Jared Goff, you know, to, to make that throw and, and to believe that, uh, that Van Jefferson 
Jefferson's going to make that play in that moment, making the throw to Cam Akers and, and believing that he's going to make the play in that moment. So I think uh, that, that says a lot uh, across the board about uh, what these guys can do. And I, I think coming in, there were, there were some expectations for for Cam Akers, but I, I think you always enter a season, and unless you're talking about, again, a first-round pick or a quarterback or something like that, if, if, you're, if you're coming into a season thinking, wow, we really need these rookies to produce, you're probably not in a great spot. Like You, you really should be expecting uh, rookies to kind of come along slowly, to make contributions later in the season, smaller contributions, that sort of thing. So this is, this is really kind of what it should be. And now it's just a matter of how they can continue to progress. There's six more games left in, in the regular season. Can they maintain it? Can they keep up that consistency? Can they grow into even bigger roles? But uh, I think you have to feel good if you're the Rams uh, about what you saw from those guys. Wholesome moment alert, Rich. Okay. Could we but all get a friend who cheers for us as much as rookie safety Terrell Burgess, who is injured right now, <laughs> cheers for his teammates on Twitter during games. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, that is so cool. It, it really is. Uh, that, that's somebody who's, who's really bought in and, uh, you know, can be tough. It's, it's, it's gotta be tough to, to not be there and to not be able to experience that when, when you're a rookie. But, uh, yeah, so, so fun to, to, to see guys like that just show their, their emotion and their joy for their, for their teammates. Yeah. And, and, you know, John Johnson said it really well. He's like, you know, these guys are the future. And even, even some of the guys who are, have been getting more limited snaps, even guys like Terrell Burgess, who is on IR right now, um, where he'll stay for the rest of the season, you know, it's hard not to see that because you, you see these flashes. I mean, I think we won't really know until two years from now what the caliber of this particular draft class was. But when you get into some of the things we covered earlier this year about Les Snead sort of reverse engineering his own brain and some of the conscious biases that he tried to remove from his and his staff's decision-making process, I think that that goes hand in hand. Maybe you'll start to see trends down the stretch of, of um, sort of the success that that brings. And you often don't see that until a couple of years down. So I, I'm just really thrilled to keep – and what a great group of people, honestly. I mean, taking my journalist hat off for a moment, I mean, these guys are all so um, – just kind to each other and really, really great teammates with each other and then also good people. So I think that that's just going to be something that's really fun to watch down the stretch here. And it's it's hard not to have a big smile when, you know, you see the celebrating with each other and then you see the the back and forth and then also how excited their veteran teammates are for them. I mean, John Johnson, even with his future, his own future so uncertain still, in Los Angeles um, is the first to speak up on behalf of any of these guys when, when they do something great. So I, I just think that says a lot about, about this roster. Yeah, it does. And it says a lot about, about the culture too, that that's been put in place with those players who have been there uh, a while. I mean, a guy like Michael Brockers comes to mind, uh, Aaron Donald too, and, and John Johnson, you know, not being a, a, a real old guy at all. Uh, but, but really, you know, early on became kind of that vocal leader and very inclusive uh, on that defense, somebody, 
mentality that the people rally around. So when, when you've got that environment, when you bring young players into that, uh, makes it a lot easier for them to, to buy in and, and to feel like they're uh, a part of that team. So I think the Rams have done a really good job of uh, kind of fostering that. And, and the players themselves have done a great job of, of you know, bringing the other guys along. So you, you got to feel good about that, um, like you said, Jordan. But uh, should, we, should we pivot uh, to the offense? Because there, there's a few things to, to talk about there, too. I mean, we're talking about uh, Jared Goff's game. Uh, Joe Noteboom steps in, which was a big talking point uh, coming in. Huge games from Cooper. Cooper Cup and, and Robert Woods. I mean, we could go in a lot of different directions, Jordan. What's what what comes uh, to the to the front of your mind? Well, let's start with Joe Noteboom and then work our way inside <laughs> and then go outside. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that makes I sense. Like, I like it. Uh, if you're if you're if you're tracking here, so okay, okay we'll, so, we'll break the huddle. Ready? Ready? Yeah, break. Ready? Break. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, forgive us, guys. <laughs> okay, so. I only noticed Joe Noteboom really twice, which is a good sign. One of those, uh, he it was on a play away from where the ball was, so I think that's fine. Um, and it was very early on, and he was sort of getting his feet under him against Jason Pierre-Paul, and he had to go against Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, which, yeah. you know, I don't envy the man who has those assignments. Um, but... I think that going unnoticed is the best possible outcome for Joe Noteboom stepping into the very, very large shoes of Andrew Whitworth, who's obviously on injured reserve for the time being, rehabbing a MCL-PCL tear. So, you know, nothing but praise and and kind words from teammates um, after the game on Joe, who, yeah, you know, they – collectively struggled to get the run going, but I think they understood that coming into the game because they they knew and they saw just how stingy this group and this front seven is. So they knew they were going to be in pass pro for most of the game, and they were, um, you know, 51 of 71 offensive snaps. They were in passing situations, and so that's a lot of pass protection. And Joe Noteboom, really, I only saw him and I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know if like completely getting beat, but maybe like giving up pressures um, twice. And I think that that's. I think that that's notable. No pun yeah. intended. <laughs> <laughs> no boomable. Um, yeah, I, I, I. You said it perfectly, Jordan. When you when you don't see when you don't hear his name and and when you don't see him, uh, you know, highlighted or with a little circle around him on on replays, then uh, that's that's all you you can ask for. And I I know you uh, said it very well. I, I think on last week's podcast how. Um, you know, the fans had to have a little bit of a, a learning curve or, or a little bit of changed expectations for somebody like that. And uh, this is a guy who, who had not played left tackle in, in a regular season game since I, 2017 when he, when he was at TCU. I, I imagine, I'm sure he maybe started a preseason game for the Rams. Although I, I'm, I'm sure he did probably in, in 2018. Um, but, you know, no practical experience at all in, in live action NFL regular season playing left tackle. And then, as you said, you know, 
Yeah, how about a, a welcoming committee there from from that Tampa Bay front? It's not exactly the easiest thing uh, to 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 deal with. I was watching a little bit. They, you know, they helped him a little bit at times with with tight end help, but for the most part, uh, they, they trusted him to to get it done on his own. And uh, I, I thought for a first game. Uh, it, it it exceeded my expectations of, of what he could do. Uh, I, I thought the game plan was was you know pretty well designed too. Uh, Jared Goff did a nice job of of recognizing the pocket too, which sometimes he's he struggles with that a little bit uh, with that awareness. Uh, I, I thought for the most part he did a good job of of kind of sensing uh, if that pressure was was going to start coming. So uh, yeah, all in all, I, I don't think you can ask anything more uh, than, than what you got from Joe Noteboom in that game. Yeah, and I think it it goes hand in hand with something you mentioned, and it was about. Jared Goff and his pocket awareness, and then also getting the ball out quickly. That's something that I think people have rightfully been worried about with Jared, is getting the ball out quickly, not necessarily diagnosing pressure, but operating within it and then executing within it. I think he knows when it's coming, and you could hear him very clearly, um, thanks to the the extra loud audible, you know, audible mics, you could hear right. him check into or out of that that pressure. So I, I don't think he doesn't see it necessarily when it's coming. I think right. he of course sees it, but then the execution has been flawed as we know. So, and especially against, you know, Miami was the blueprint that everyone was worried about, right. Or quote unquote blueprint. But mm-hmm. in it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast, definitively in back-to-back weeks, teams have sent zero pressures and all out blitzes against Jared Goff and against this Rams offense and they have resoundingly beat it. So right. I think that that can't go undersold and untold in the story of this season is that sort of midpoint adjustment that they have made. And again, you need to sustain it, obviously. But this is about one of the toughest <laughs> front sevens you're going to yeah. see for the rest of the year. And, and so to be able to handle it um, not just adequately, but very well. Let me see if I can pull up his his stats against the Blitz. Um, yeah, Jared Goff uh, in the first half was perfect against the Blitz. He was 10 for 10 for 146 yards and a touchdown. Third and fourth quarter, obviously, is when we start to, started to see things get a little bit gnarly, some of those stalls, and, and Jared was pretty honest with himself post-game and said he was making some dumb decisions, had a couple of drives stall out couple of interceptions. Um, one of those, I think, was a combination of, of him and Daryl Henderson in terms of a miscommunication. And Jason Pierre-Paul was blowing up those screens all night. And then um, he actually finished 16 of 18 for 203 yards out of his 376 yards total with two touchdowns and no interceptions when operating against a blitz. And a couple of those were in completely crucial situations, including that 19-yard pass to Cooper Cup on that last drive that helped set up the game-winning field goal. And those types of things, that type of of in-season development or adjustment, because I think the design has been there, the execution has been where it's completely failed, but now execution and design is, is matched. And I think that that's something that, as I mentioned, can't go undersold about what this team, what the potential of this team is and what they've been sort of able to accomplish in these last two games because teams are not shy about blitzing them at this point. They were handling it so well that Todd Bowles 
had to dial it down from about 40% of pass snaps to less than 30% by the, uh, by the second half. And I think that's so telling because that changes your math. That gives you more options of what you can do. And you certainly saw the ability to be successful. Yeah, that's so important uh, going forward. I, I would love to see, I, I don't have the, the I'm, not, I'm not smart enough, technologically savvy enough to, to do this, but I would love to see a cut up uh, tape of, of even just the Miami game compared to this one. You know, go, go back and forth in, in some of the uh, situations, some of the plays, and, because it, it just looked completely different. And uh, that's if you're a Rams fan, look that that Miami game was terrible, but that's that's done. It's it's how you learn from it, and it's how you improve uh, from it. And and to see you know just what two or three weeks later uh, to see them look completely different and see Jared play completely different, handle all of that completely different. Uh, that that's a great sign. Now consistency, of course, is is the issue. I mean, this has kind of been uh, Jared's thing, even even this season. It's just you you've got to string together those weeks. Uh, those games back to back to back where where you're, you're doing all this stuff but in terms of this game particularly I don't I don't think you could ask for a whole lot more This episode is brought to you by Shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in Shopify's there to help you grow Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now, people will look at the interceptions, and I, I've been first in line to say how, how much I hate those, those multi-interception games. I, I, think they're, I think they're real killers for, for a quarterback and for an offense. Um, so you don't like to see that, but you, you know, we can debate what, what was going on there with, with a couple of those. You don't like to see them. Uh, but I, I was just impressed, Jordan, because, you know, the run game just was not there. And, and I'm usually the first one in line to say they're not running the ball enough. They're not, they're not doing this. They're not doing that. It, it just wasn't there. It just was not Daryl Henderson's night. They just, they were not going to, to move the ball on the ground. So, so really the success or failure of this game was largely on Jared's shoulders. And, and that's a lot uh, for any quarterback. And it's a lot when you're facing a defense like this. For, for him to uh, uh, complete 39 of 51 attempts, 376 yards, uh, three touchdowns. The, the 51, you, st- you still don't like to see it quite that high. Like that is not ideal. Uh, but he was making those plays. And I, I think you alluded to it earlier, Jordan, uh, the, the ability a couple times. I, I know you wrote it in your story too, the, the ability to to step up and, and out of a potential sack and, and to keep your eyes downfield and, and to keep looking for targets. I mean, these are things that you don't always see from Jared and certainly haven't always seen them in the past. But uh, I thought all in all, the, he, he was sharp and he really had a, a command of that offense. Yeah, I'd even give him, I'd even spot him the interception that was intended for Daryl Henderson. If yeah. you 
if you spotted him that and then took away the second one, which I think was more poor decision-making and got the ball out just maybe a skosh late, um, I think that you could say minus that second interception that this is the best game, was the best game of, of his season. And I think that that was telling for, for so many reasons. One, because the Rams kind of knew coming in that this – that the run was not going to work. The admirable thing was that they didn't keep trying to force it. They saw that it was just not working. They were like wading through molasses out there on the ground. And it wasn't their, this is a really good front seven. It's the stingiest front seven in the NFL. They're allowing like now less, but entered the game allowing like something like 76 yards per game on the ground. Like that's insane. So I think that they came in with that understanding and instead of, trying to continue to force something that wasn't there like they did in the passing game against Miami. Hmm. Instead, they said, okay, no, this is the, these are the new Rams on offense. We've come away from the bye week and we're refreshed. We've had some, some self-care time and some analysis. We watched This Is Us and we're emotionally in touch with ourselves. <laughs> and now we're going to adjust better. <laughs> and but you know what the team feels that the team picks up on that and then you have guys like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup who I mean what more is left to say about them and what in terms of what they're able to accomplish but we'll get to it in a second but and you have those guys stepping up and executing in in very vintage ways that are just so totally them and and then you hear something like this from Robert Woods at the end when they have to sort of lead a game-winning drive came away with three points and, and the go-ahead kick from Matt Gay. But Robert Wood said that the coaches were, like, worried on the sideline and the, the vibe was really, like, you know, frenetic-ish. And, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was it was just very, like, angsty on the sideline. And so they go into the huddle and Jared Goff's like, all right, it's a Thursday practice. And I think that's so that's so crucial, right? And And we talk about how he's even keel and sometimes it's, frustrating to not see him react to things like getting his face mask yanked on or or show the emotion you know what I mean but in this scenario this is something that kept his entire team calm on that last drive and then combined with Robert Wood's overall zenness you know then they go out and they hit that dagger on the crosser and got the Rams to midfield right out of the huddle and it was totally backbreaking and I think that those little moments are so underrated throughout the course of a game and and you get to see them when things are working and the plan is working and the the coach and the quarterback are in sync and the quarterback and the receivers are in sync and everything's flowing and they're not trying to force things that aren't there. Yeah, no question about it. Um, The only thing I would say, just just because I I feel like I have to stay on brand uh, a little (laughs) bit, is um, I I I watched that game thinking, where's where's Malcolm Brown? A a little bit, just because maybe maybe it was because things weren't working with Daryl Henderson. Uh, Cam Akers, you know, had a couple carries there. I I just thought the game dictated if you were going to try to to make them uh, Tampa Bay respect the run game a little bit. I I just thought Malcolm Brown's running style, at least, or, or the way that that. Uh, he hits holes and, and maybe reads things. I, I I would have liked to have seen a little bit more than, of, than three carries um, out of him because. And then there was a play there. I think it was that third and sixteen where he almost picked it up 
on his own. Now, obviously, Tampa Bay is sitting back. They're, they're, they were glad to let him run the ball, but he almost picked up that first down um, on, on his own, and it w- would have been a huge, huge play. So uh, that would be my only little criticism. I can't go an entire podcast without uh, making a, a, some type of critical comment uh, about the run game. But, uh, but yeah, I think if you're the Rams, you, you felt more comfortable uh, going to that that pass heavy because Jared was making the good reads and wow Robert Woods and Cooper Cup I mean I've watched these guys a lot over the last three uh, four years but I I can't think of a game and obviously it shows up in the stats but stats aside uh, I, I can't think of a game where both of those guys were just so on it I mean they were amazing I could not believe Jordan the stat where that was the first time in Rams history with with two receivers with 10 or more receptions in the same game I would have I think I would have bet my entire 401k that the that the greatest show on turf uh, did that at least once uh, a couple decades ago but uh, what an amazing stat and and what a fantastic game for those two guys yeah I mean it better it better be if you're throwing it 51 times I mean I think what if you're if you come into a game and you know you're going to throw it that much, what better two guys to have on your roster than two such as these Cooper Cup and Robert Woods? Like I like I mentioned before, just absolute vintage performance from from both of those guys. They combined for what 275 receiving yards on 23 catches, and I mean it just Cup Cooper Cup was over 100 yards in the first half. And, you know, set set a, another record himself and join some some very, very famous names and guys who have accomplished that. And they also the the yards after the catch were just I mean, you just almost were like, am I watching like Super Mario or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> am I watch what am I watching a video game? Because 79 of Cooper Cup's yards came after the catch. 72 of Robert Wood's yards came after the catch. And then according to Next Gen, I mean, these guys did it all. They ran out of 13 different types of routes. Wow. And nine of those different route combinations picked up 10 or more yards to the intended receiver. And I think, I mean, it just tickles me to death. Like, what can't these guys do? Like, did they fly? Oh, yeah. Did they fly the plane home too? Like, <laughs> what? I can see that. I can no, see that. <laughs> I mean, it's just those two. Um, they're just fun to watch, man. They do everything. They do a lot of different things that we love to talk about. But, but also in terms of being there to help break those blitzes, get get in, into a rhythm with Jared Goff, get Goff feeling comfortable, and vice versa blocking, giving Joe Noteboom the help he needed, giving guys on the outside the help they need, um, reverses, motions, at-snap motion, pre-snap motion, I mean, everything. There's this one, uh, one of the routes that Cooper Cup runs that went viral. I mean, it's just, it's everything. Yeah. And it was all of the, all of the things that these guys are good at, right down to the blocking, right down to – um, how they run routes off of each other and sort of set up different patterns off of each other. Um, just just everything that they do well, they did. 
Yeah, you, you can see, uh, I was just looking it up there, the, the millions, I think it was about 110 million total that, that those two guys uh, got in, in their new deals. And uh, you can see why, 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 why it happened right there. But yeah, I'd, I'd feel comfortable, Jordan, if you were sitting, uh, you know, back in some middle seat and, and you heard Robert Wood's voice come over the, the PA, you know, this, this, this is your captain, Robert. Like, I'd, I'd feel good about that, right? I mean, you'd, you'd feel yeah. like you were in good hands oh. with, with First Officer Cooper. Like I, I'd feel pretty good about that. Yeah, and and if I were a nervous flyer, I certainly wouldn't be after that flight. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Oh my goodness gracious! And yeah. and um, I love how Robert Woods always comes up to the podium either in post game or on his weekly Zoom calls, and there's always something in the press conference that just absolutely tickles him to death. And it's just like I said, you you get everything from these two guys that you could possibly want or need out of, out of this offense and to see it clicking on all cylinders. I mean, it, it did, I think for the first time in, in several games, because there has been a little bit of timing issues maybe, and, and a little bit of maybe, I, I don't want to say communication, but execution er- errors, certainly a couple of rare drops from those guys earlier in the season. And you just don't see that. So to see everything clicking, you're like, Oh yeah, that's what it's supposed to look like. Yeah. Jordan, are you ready for a great transition here? I can't wait. Okay. <clears throat> Got to clear my throat. Speaking of things that are in the air and might make you nervous. <laughs> the oh. Rams changed kickers this week. Um, A-B-T-A-K. But, uh, ne- well, I already forget. Never always, always be, talking be talking about, talking kickers. about kickers. Guys, yes. I said A-B-T-A-C. <laughs> Uh, you know, that's close like enough. What, that's like A B four, right? <laughs> I said A B T A C last week. Thank you to all of those listeners who really um, hilariously mentioned that yeah. to me. I I laughed out loud every single time I saw that. But yes, A B T A K. Always be talking about kickers. Here we go. Abtac, yeah, yeah, the old abtac. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I mean, not bad, right? I mean, it's it's a, we're grading on a curve at this point, I, I guess. After after Aren't yet we another kick, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, not bad. You you don't like to see the missed field goal, of co- of course, and that could have been all joking aside. I mean, that could have been huge uh, in, in this game when uh, when Matt Gay pushes that that field goal a little bit. But uh, for him to step in, with, you know, without working with this group very much, uh, I mean, what was it? Uh, uh, obviously, you know, makes all three of his extra points, which are, as we know, are, are, are not a given uh, on, on this Rams team. And uh, obviously makes a huge field goal uh, at the end of the game. Uh, that's, that's the go-ahead score. And maybe more impressive to me, Jordan, four of the five kickoffs went for touchbacks. And I think the fifth one, probably in a normal situation, I, I think it was Barner who, who brought it out. It was I think he was just looking for a play there uh, at the end of the fourth quarter. That, that might normally have been a situation where he just lets that go. So uh, I don't know, Jordan, all in all, like <laughs> not, not a bad debut for, for Matt Gay, right? Yeah, you know, and and what a place for him to make such a debut and and have what was ultimately a game-winning kick was in the very stadium that he was in all the time in 2019 because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers drafted him in the fifth round in 2019 and then ended up waiving him this past fall during roster cuts for in favor of um, Ryan Suckup. So I 
I just, the, the poetic justice in Matt Gay's mind, I mean, you could tell it was emotional for him. Post-game, he spent a lot of time with us on Zoom, and, and he was just talking about, yeah, this one just hits a little bit differently because you're in a place where you felt like maybe you were supposed to be, but now you're on a new journey. And to be able to have that opportunity, um, I just think, you know, how important for him, how important for, you know, a kicker in general where everything is so mental um, and and to have such confidence and and genuine, it seems genuine delight that he is present because of the way that Sean McVay talked about him. <laughs> He's motivating Sean to hit the weight room, isn't he? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, and, and just Sean was describing that, you know, the second Matt stepped on campus, you could just see this sort of confidence in how, um, and then we, he went through his, his kicking workout and the team was watching and you could just really, really feel this confidence and sort of this, this pep in, in everyone's step. And they were, apparently cheering when he was kicking and, and just really things that haven't happened in that building. I don't think for a little while. So, um, I will say I felt sort of like this, this wave of peace wash over me when I asked him specifically about kickoffs. Cause remember opinion covers kickoffs. So in Tampa Bay, yeah. Matt did not get a chance really to cover, to do, uh, to do those kickoffs. And he, he was like, you know, I think it's an underrated part of my game and it was really important to me that I showed it well tonight. And I just sort of felt this wave of peace wash over me. <laughs> so did Sean McVay, right. probably. Well, yeah. clearly Sean did, because man, as he left the room, so he ended. Sean ended his press conference <laughs> talking about how apparently Matt can uh, can bench quite a bit. He could throw the weight around, and and I'm going to do my my best Sean McVay impression. Um, he's <laughs> if I can get to the actuality, what he said. He said, "Kicker's pretty jacked, man." <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, that's hilarious. you can go read my column for what he said off camera but it was hilarious yeah, but but pg-13 version yeah but it was yeah. um i mean to have someone they're probably so relieved i mean it's got to work out right you there's still yeah. a lot of kicks left to make um a lot of touchbacks left to kick but you know i i think that they're feeling a little bit of confidence that can do a lot that can do a lot after such uncertainty you know missed kicks or extra points in 9 out of 10 games i mean including this one sure but you know right. then rallied and ended up kind of maybe they're thinking maybe he got it out of him early and so now that confidence might carry him um and they certainly hope so yeah, I mean that's huge. I mean it wasn't uh, it wasn't a, a triple zeros on the clock a kick, but that was a high high pressure kick and forty yard, not long of course, but to be in that situation, I I know I'd <laughs> I'd be a little nervous, and I can't imagine all the things that, that might have been going through Matt Gay's head. Like you you said, Jordan, you know this is your first game with your new team. They just signed you to after after a couple other guys didn't work out uh it, it's your former team that just cut you i can't even imagine all the things that were going through his head when he when he walked out on the field and uh just just went and nailed it so i'm sure it does a lot for him and i'm sure it does a lot for the for the team's uh, confidence in him and and this is one of those games i mean we talked about it early in the season where it, eventually it is going to come down to a field goal and and this one pretty much did and uh, given what the rams have in their in their last 6 games you've you've got to imagine that there's a at least one or two more that, that are going to be really tight like that. And, uh, and Matt Gay is going to get more opportunities. So, so I guess he's, he's one for one. And that's why we say always be talking about kickers. Yeah. 
Abtac. Abtac. Yes. Hey, really quick <laughs> before we wrap, Rich, I have this one moment that I want to talk about because I think that it was really, really cool and an yeah. example of team cohesion. The two minute, or I guess it was like a minute 30 to end the first half. And after a long completion, Jared Goff and the entire offensive line ran, you know, 30, 25, 30 yards downfield in order to snap the ball at one second and set up another, you know, field goal. Okay. Hang on. Is that right? A field goal? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. To, To set up another field goal. Okay. The fact that all of those offensive linemen got themselves downfield at that speed and then nobody jumped off sides. I think that is just really good execution and an underrated moment, I believe, in, in uh, Monday night's game. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine a guy like poor Rob Havenstein or like Joe Noteboom? It's like he sees the play developing and it's like, uh-oh, I've got to now <laughs> sprint 35 yards down the no. field so, so that we get ourselves <laughs> lined up. And, and yeah, just to, just to get himself down in the stance and, and be able to stay still. But, wow, what a, what a, I mean, what a play by Robert Woods. And then, uh, yeah, what a, what a big boost to, to, to go into. Uh, gave the Rams the lead at halftime. And as, as Sean McVay well knows, and he loves, I understand, he loves <laughs> when people point out that, that he remains undefeated uh, in, in his career as a head coach when, when leading at halftime. So, um, Sure, it was a, a nice little boost for them. And, and yeah, what a, what a great moment and just well executed by all those guys. You know, I, I want to also maybe try, I know we're going to play off of Sean McVay and Jared Goff, and we're going to try to adjust and introduce something new in the second half of the season. Uh, I'd like to point out one notable each that we took from Monday night's game and then one nitpick. And... The nitpick can be as petty as you want it to be, Rich. <laughs> well, I'm nothing if if not petty. Um, <laughs> so this is this is right up my alley. Um, I, I'll, I'll start there. Um, it, it was just the, uh, the the running back rotation again to me was was a little bit off, and and I know Daryl Henderson has done outstanding things um, uh, this year, and I, I'm not criticizing him in particular at all because we've talked about what a uh, uh, what a tough defensive front that Tampa Bay uh, that Tampa Bay has, but to, to see him still still back out on the field in in the fourth quarter and even in some some tough situations, I I just I didn't I didn't know about that. Like I would have gone to Malcolm Brown, uh, who's who's a better pass protector anyway, and and might have had a better opportunity uh, to run the ball a little bit more physically and, and pick up some of those yards. So I'd say that was. Uh, that was my nitpick, um, and and for my uh, my positive or, or what have you, um, really uh, happy to see Van Jefferson to do what he did. I, I think there's there's going to be some confidence built in that. Everybody wants to score their first NFL touchdown. He's he's been a little bit up and down. I'm I'm sure you know just as a prideful person, a prideful player, he probably would like to get in on the action a little bit more than he has. So uh, to to see him get that, uh, I think was a real positive. Good choices. Hard to argue with those. Um, what do you got? My nitpick. It's very nitpicky. <laughs> okay. I absolutely hated the run call on third and eight at the Tampa Bay 22 on that, oh boy. On that final drive. I hated it. I loathed it entirely. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that that's such a throwaway, completely displaying sort of that 
football conservatism of I'm going to take the points here and it worked for them. So again, very nitpicky. (laughs) It worked for them. I don't know if that works against other quarterbacks down the stretch. I think you, you can argue if, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of McVay, he would probably argue, okay, I have confidence in my kicker. Um, I have confidence in my defense to make the stop on Tom Brady, but there was two minutes and 36 seconds left to play. And Tom Brady has led so many game winning drives in his career. And yeah, he was like, as I put in my column, he's like noodle arming some of the throws. Some of those deep throws were absolute ducks. But at the same time, it's too much time to give an established quarterback to then potentially execute a game-winning drive. And we'd be talking in a completely different tone and probably complaining a lot if Jordan Fuller doesn't get that last interception. So, no, I I do not like that call, um, if I have not made that clear. (laughs) Um, And then um, I think my notable, um, I do want to give Jalen Ramsey a shout-out because it's not easy to cover – Mike Evans, I know we touched on Jalen earlier in the in the podcast, but his actual stat line was four catches, 40 yards. That's just really good against Mike yeah. Evans. Like I said, in in covering the NFC South for for several years before getting here, Mike, I've seen Mike Evans just blow some teams up, honestly. And it's it, he is so physical and so tough off the line of scrimmage. Um just just the sheer power with which he plays um, and, and the ability that he has to widen his own catch window and the technique, that's a really, I mean, back-to-back weeks for Jalen Ramsey, just really, really solid first against DK Metcalf in Seattle and then against Seattle and then Mike Evans in Tampa Bay. And and he stuck with them for 73% of his, of his routes, including yeah. when Mike was in the slot. So I think that that was just yet another example um, of, of Jalen Ramsey and how excellent he's playing, particularly when he gets to sort of float around um, as as they see fit. So that's my yep. nitpick and my notable. I like him, Jordan. I, I share your your anger on, on that call. Yes. I could not believe what Rage. I was uh, seeing. But uh, <laughs> all's well that ends well, I guess. And uh, want to uh, wish everybody, all of our uh, friends in the United States at least, uh, happy Thanksgiving this week. You know, it's a, it's a challenging time uh, for, for everybody, but hope everybody is uh, – Staying safe, staying healthy, and all that good stuff, and enjoying uh, enjoying your week. Big game against the 49ers coming up. Always, always a big game, Rams 49ers, but uh, especially this time around, and a uh, big one for the standings. So we want to uh, make sure that you follow all of Jordan's great coverage on The Athletic. And uh, I'm going to flip the script on you here, Jordan, Ooh. because uh, we, we have this coming weekend one of your very favorite things, which is what? Oh, my God, a discount. A discount. We're getting a discount. <laughs> you guys, beginning Black Friday through December 4th, you can subscribe for just a dollar a month. Now, you know you can always subscribe through the 11 Personnel Podcast for a dollar per month, but we're having a Black Friday sale um, that where you can subscribe through any th- any part of the athletic for just a dollar per month, and you can get all of the sports content that you could possibly want. I love a good discount. Um, you know, I, I I think we're we're all just kind of reflective this week in general, and and very very grateful for all of our listeners and all the people who take the time to leave us great reviews and feedback. Um, my personal joy, I. 
as I don't have a lot going on in my life, uh, <laughs> my personal joy <laughs> is when you guys send me sort of one of these inside jokes that Rich and I have and enjoy um, through the podcast, like Abtac. And I just get so much laughter and joy out of those things. So grateful to all of you guys for listening um, and, and wishing you all a very happy Thanksgiving. 